Welcome to the Divorce Survival Guide podcast, where we have open and honest conversations about co-parenting, separation, divorce, and the hardest question of all, should you stay or should you go? I'm Kate Anthony, your Divorce Survival Guide, and I'm here to help you navigate some of the roughest waters you've ever swum in and answer some of your toughest questions. I've been to hell and back, and now it's my mission in life to help you get to the other side of this process with your sanity and your heart intact. Hey, hey everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Divorce Survival Guide podcast. How's everyone doing? It is a happy week in my world. (laughs) We've got the inauguration, or by the time you hear this, it will have happened. God help us. I hope it went off without a hitch. And then next week, you guys, it's my birthday. And I'm like, I'm a fan of my birthday. I got to tell you, I'm always the one who's like, you know, I throw my own parties. (laughs) And this year was supposed to be like a really, really big deal. We were going to have a big ass party because I'm, you guys, I'm turning 50. That's right. (laughs) We had this whole plan for this big party at my friend Lisa's house. We were going to, there was going to be a DJ and dancing and it was going to be epic. And here we are. Womp womp. (laughs) We're having my birthday on Zoom. (laughs) I I don't even know. I, but here's what I do. Here's, here's the deal guys. Here's what I do. I texted three of my best friends and I was like, Hey, y'all need to throw me a Zoom party, figure it out. And they were like on it. And here's, here's the thing, guys, you need to have people in your life. Everyone needs people in their lives that you can call or text and be like, Hey, you need to throw me a party. And they're like, fuck yeah, got it. Those are the people that you need in your life. Trust me. It's amazing. I don't know what they're planning, but I also know them and it's going to be fabulous. So it may not be like a dance party with a DJ, but it'll be fun nonetheless. Um, Okay, so I have a great guest today. I'm bringing back my friend Gwen Ramondi to talk about trauma bonds. This is like one of the biggest conversations in my Facebook group. Um, It's one of the huge conversation I have with my clients. It's just one of the biggest things that we tackle as we extricate ourselves from, um, certainly from toxic relationships. So it's really important to understand what they are, how they function, and how we can set the boundaries that need to be set in order to break free of them. And unfortunately for us, for those of us who are parents, we can't just go no contact because that's really like, you know, the, the, the most, uh, common antidote that you'll hear about is to go no contact, right? To cut off completely, go cold turkey. Um, but we don't get the luxury of doing that when, um, when you share children with the person to whom you have a trauma bond. Um, so it's, it's, but that doesn't mean you can't break it. So I called Gwen and I was like, hi, <laughs> come talk to me about this. I am lucky and honored and blessed that she said yes. Um, for those of you who don't know Gwen, she's been on the podcast before. She's a writer. She's a trauma support practitioner. She's a relational systems explorer and the creator of the trauma-informed embodiment modality. She specializes in complex, meaning childhood, relational, and attachment-based traumas, grief, embodiment and the and all of their intersections like where all of that stuff meets. She has written extensively over the last several years about many different pro- types of trauma and the ways that they impact our relationships. So this is literally what we're talking about and she has online groups and programs periodically throughout the year. Um she actually has a program starting up really soon uh called Embodied Relating. And she has um, another one about trauma-informed embodiment for relationships. So you 
definitely go in the show notes are links to all of those. And I highly, highly, highly recommend um, that you sign up for those. Gwit's work is actually, she offers these workshops that are um, super affordable and they're kind of like they're, they're, um, she does them in sort of small doses. So she has programs that run the gamut from like, you know, really long, year long, more expensive um, uh, explorations to like, a one-off workshop. So I highly encourage everyone to look into her work and um, take one of her workshops because her work is amazing. Here is my conversation with Gwen Ramondi. Gwen, thank you so much for coming back and having a conversation about trauma bonds. So important. Yes. Thank you for having me back. Yeah, I adore you. I'm so happy to have this conversation with you in particular. So let's just dive in. Like, what's a trauma bond? We talk about this. I hear this all the time. And I want to really, I want to get into the nitty gritty, like down and dirty about what trauma bonds are. How do we recognize them? How do we break them? Yeah. So there's two, there's kind of two working definitions of trauma bonds right now. And the traditional definition is when we bond with an abuser. So abuse is happening and we bond through the abuse. You see this in intimate partner violence. You see this in child abuse, even when there's also an attachment piece that's involved, there's usually a power dynamic. All of that is, is part of it. So that's the traditional definition of trauma bond or trauma bonding. And it's usually, and it's the, the victim who is doing the bonding to the abuser. The way this phrase is, the way the phrase is being used more now, or the way I'm hearing it being used more now in the dating world is mm-hmm. the right. idea of, I've just met someone and now we're going to tell each other all of our deepest, darkest, most horrible things that ever happened to us. Yeah. Okay. Oh yeah, I have. And <laughs> we're bonding through our trauma. Yes. So that's a thing. That, that also happens. And so there's this, like, this, yeah, don't do it. <laughs> don't. Oh, so we're bonding through our trauma. No, that, that's not good. It, it, okay. doesn't, it doesn't lead wow. anywhere good because you're both coming in, both people are coming in with this, I can fix you, I can save you, I can, if I love you enough, then, you know, like all of this stuff, I'm going to take care of you in the ways that everyone else didn't. And it's just, it's fucked up, to be honest. And- Let's not do that, everybody. Let's not. that's that's not a good idea yes absolutely absolutely and the and in the traditional definition that bond grows over time versus in the way I'm seeing this phrase used now is the first couple of dates we're like diving in to all of our stuff and and it's under the guise of being vulnerable or being honest or being open or being trying to create intimacy and Emotional intimacy. That's false false intimacy. Yeah, that's false intimacy. Telling totally false intimacy. And again, it just doesn't lead anywhere fabulous because we're bonding through the dark things, which isn't, I don't think that, I I do think (laughs) that there is a time and a place in relationships when we can share our histories and we can share like this shit happened to me, but it's not in the first couple dates. And I would even argue it's not in the first few months, honestly, that's down the road kind of stuff. Absolutely. I 100% agree. Lordy, that's just like, (laughs) (laughs) that just blindsided me a little. I'm like, that sounds awful. (laughs) Here, you take a shit on me and then I'll take a shit on you. And then like, now we're intimate. Okay, but but the other form of trauma bond, which is in a long-term abusive partnership. Right. How does that how does it happen? How does it like what happens there? What in any abusive relationship, what what happens is typically our our brains get wired when we're children. And our brains get wired dependent on the care that we receive from our primary caregivers. And we don't have to be abused by our primary caregivers to have our brains wired in such a way that we are attracted to abusers in the future. Like we can have caregivers who are, who we just, who just are misattuned to us. 
like for what it, like they just, we could call it not emotionally available, but they, there's just a misattunement that they don't get us. We don't, and we're the kid, we're not supposed to get them, but they don't know how to care for us. So it doesn't have to look like abuse or extreme neglect for our brains to get wired in such a way that says harm equals love, hurt equals love. Yeah. They're one and the same. If someone yells at me, that means they love me because my mom and dad always yelled at me or whatever the thing is. And then it goes, it can go even more extreme as we all know in relationships. They hit me. That means they love me. That means they care. They, you know, they, they, yeah, they get inextricably tangled up when you're, yes. So it's not just, yeah, it's like harm and love are, they're one. They become one thing. Yeah, it's the high. You're getting that dopamine hit. You're getting the endorphin hit. You're getting the serotonin hits. Like you're getting all of that. And it it literally does become addictive because our body likes those chemicals because they feel really fucking good. And so it does become that like, I got to get my hit. I got to get my fix. And we subconsciously, unconsciously end up with people who who will provide that fix for us. Or they hit me and then after the hitting is the apology and the love and the passion. I think like one of the greatest examples of a trauma bond that I've ever seen portrayed is in Big Little Lies with Nicole Kidman and her husband. And that just that sick it's like the violence and the all of that and then the passion and the rage and she you become addicted to the passion because you think that's love you think that yeah 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 it is literally a high yes and we confuse we can we as you said we confuse that high with oh this is love because i feel so good this has to be love and it's really yeah. we're just high on dopamine really that's all that's going on we chase them <laughs> It's, you know, my, the way that my ex-boyfriend who, with whom I had a trauma bond described our relationship was that it was the highest highs and the lowest lows. And that, like that right there is a really big, giant, massive red flag (laughs) because that's exactly it. It's the lowest lows, the depths of despair, the most awful pain, and then the highest high, it's literally a high. Yeah, yeah, we do it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no bueno. It is this, it's almost this egocentric narcissistic idea that we can fix other people. You know, that, that if we right. love them enough, if we do the things enough, if we could just make them do that one thing, go to therapy, then, you know, then everything would be better. Everything would be fixed then. And the reality is we can't change other people. We can't make them want to change. We can't make them do the work to change. We can't do it. Like we cannot love, so we can never love someone enough. Exactly. And, have that heal and their then trauma. there's that, there's the insidious thing where then they, they're in their apology or in their sort of other, coming up the other side of it, then it's about their wounding, what made them that way. And it's about their attachment and their, all of that stuff. And then we think, if I could just heal this for him, then he wouldn't have to do this anymore. And I'm clearly the one who can do the healing because we wouldn't be here. Blah, blah, blah. Talk about that. And there, there is truth in that we can only heal our trauma in relationship. We can't heal it in isolation. Like we can't, you can read all the self-help trauma books you want. And if you're not seeing a therapist or a counselor or a priest, or I I don't care who the fuck the person is. Like it doesn't coach. It doesn't really matter who it is. If you're not seeing someone who you can talk to and process this stuff with it, it doesn't fucking matter. You can't, you, we can't do it by ourselves. It is also true that we only know what needs healing from our relationships, from our intimate relationships, because those are the ones that activate us and that poke at all those wounds. Right. And so it is true that we, in some ways, we do need to be in relationship, but it doesn't have to be sexual romantic relationships. We can, this can show up in our friendships too. It shows up with our relationships with our parents, with our kids, with, it shows up in any relationship we have, but it's not that the other person is then healing us. It's that the other person's pointing the arrow at, oh, you got some shit to work on there. Maybe you should go work on that over there. 
also the people that we're in relationship with, we get to practice our new skills with. They're the ones that we practice setting boundaries with. They're the ones that we practice like being honest with about and how to be honest in a way that's not blaming or pointing fingers or causing more conflict or whatever. So it doesn't work that way. And the thing that's really interesting is that not only can we not hit, but we're also the exact wrong person to do it because we are the ones that are triggering it. We're triggering it in each other. So to, so we're literally the exact wrong people. But what I find also really difficult and upsetting and a little bit angering is that when you have something like Imago therapy that tells you, they tells you that actually you can. Imago therapy is based on the premise that we can heal each other and that the only way that you can heal from your wounds is actually through a relationship with somebody else. And I love Imago for a variety of reasons, but it stops hard right there. EFT, Emotions Focused Therapy, does the same thing. It's attachment-based also. And it it does that same, like, we're slowing down, we're slowing down the dance. That the, the, It's really focused on the system and the cycle of the two people. And it's we're slowing that down. We're going to slow it down. We're going to take it apart. We're going to look at it. We're going to own everybody. Everybody's going to own their pieces. <laughs> yeah. A, a First of all, therapists should not be accepting you as, as a couple unit if there is abuse involved. That because it just learn how to communicate as long as and again, probably with the help of a therapist. This is what I think Imago therapy is so brilliant at because it slows communication down like to an almost to a halt where every step is curated and specific. And so it it teaches you communication. It teaches you how to listen. It teaches empathy. And it teaches you to recognize and 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 honor your own wounding. I think that's, yeah, that was, I think that's probably where I learned the most about all of this. Oh, that's my wound. Okay, got it. You can talk about attachment and slowing down and all that shit as much as you want in couples that it doesn't do shit. So Everybody needs to go off in their own separate corners and do their own individual therapy in those instances and then make a decision at some point if they even want to be together. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And that's such important work. And I don't think there are certain things that I just don't think can be healed in relationships without therapy or couples therapy. If you're with an abuser, you don't go to, you do not go to therapy with an abuser. So I, a lot of women, certainly in my Facebook group who we'll talk about being in therapy for years with their abusers. And I'm like, what the hell? But they won't actually identify them as abusers until they start to tell the story. And then we're like, hi, that's abuse. So a lot of women don't, they don't know that they're in a relationship with an abuser. They don't recognize that what's happening is abuse. And so they do go to therapy with them. And then sometimes a therapist doesn't recognize it because she's not presenting it. No one's saying I'm being abused. And then they, 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 then they go to therapy for years and they're getting more traumatized and more, this happened to me, by the way, that I was in couples therapy with an emotional abuser in it. And it was really <laughs> damaging. Let, can, tell us why it's not, why you don't go to therapy with an abuser. Can you break that down? Okay. <laughs> so we don't do that because there is, because the issue isn't with, there is a dynamic issue. But the dynamic issue isn't what's going to solve the problem, the relational issues. So in couples therapy, what we're doing is we're looking at the dynamic and we're looking at the relational system of the two people and we're taking it apart and we're breaking it down. And like I said, uh, and all versions of couples therapy do this. And they say, okay, this is your part. This is their part. This is, Mm -hmm. this is the stuff you need to work on individually. And this is the stuff we can work on relationally when there is abuse happening that abuse takes precedence. It is dictating the relational dynamic is basically what's happening. So you can do all the relational work you want. And if that abuse doesn't stop, which it won't, unless that person is in their own, is in therapy themselves and is actually actively working to deal with their stuff. And that can happen. I'm not saying that never, ever happens, 
I don't think it's as frequent as we would like, but it it can and does happen. But again, don't hold your breath for it to happen. (laughs) Unless that's happening, there's no point because the victim is going to, no matter what, is going to activate all the trauma and the abuser is then going to abuse and traumatize re and then re-traumatize and re-traumatize the victim. And it's just this ugly cycle that can't stop. And when I say that the victim activates or triggers the abuser, I'm not doing that in a blaming way. I'm saying that in a sense that we're fucking human and we trigger each other. Like sometimes it is literally we're standing in the room and that's what triggers someone. So there's, that's not, it's not a, it's your fault because it's not your fault. It is, it is simply part of being human that we poke each other's wounds intentionally. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. My, yeah, everything about me triggered my ex. (laughs) He hated the sound of my voice. Literally like I, my, my voice somehow, I don't know what triggered him horribly there was nothing, there's nothing wrong with my voice. There's that I'm aware of. And, but man, that trigger was real for him. I don't know what the fuck he was doing with me, but that's exactly why he was with me. (laughs) Oh my God. Okay. So back to trauma bonds, right? When we have this dynamic and we're addicted to it and it's, but it's also killing us. It's also killing us. And we, we say, but I love him so much. I can't, I can't, I just can't quit him. <laughs> but we also know at a certain point after a while, the damage is starting to outweigh the dopamine high. But at that point, the dopamine, we are so fucking addicted to it. So how do we break it? There's not any rehab that I know about for dopamine highs. I wish there was because dear God, but it is, it is a matter of, in a sense, just going cold Turkey. It is, is, it is a matter of recognizing that's not love. That's not what love looks like. That's not what respect looks like. That's not what honoring and cherishing each other looks like. And so that passion piece that, there's a whole social and cultural piece to this too, right? Of we're supposed to have passionate relationships. That's, I, I come from an Italian family and we are passionate fucking people and we're yelling all the goddamn time, but we don't abuse each other. Not that there, not that there wasn't abuse within, the, I'm not saying that. We're not, generally speaking, we're not like. Passion doesn't, you can be passionate about someone without actually abusing. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You can be loud without calling someone bad names like that, that, that those things are possible but so we confuse this idea of what lo- love is supposed to be passionate and therefore this it must be love because we have these super high highs and these super low lows but it it, it comes to the point of making the decision of yes I don't want to live like this anymore because these lows are going to kill me because I'm having suicidal ideation because I don't want to live anymore when I'm in my lows because I just, I want to die. I wish I'd die. I start making a plan to kill myself for the next time. All of that happens. It absolutely happens. And I have my own thing Mm -hmm. about, I think everyone has suicidal ideation at some, at various points in our lives. Everyone, we all get in lows where, where that's just where we go. And some of us have a more of an automatic, like that that's where we go when we're low. And then we just pull ourselves back out of it because that's, it's one of our coping mechanisms. Mm -hmm. But if you're in a relationship where you're constantly, when you hit those lows and you just want to die and you just wish you were dead, Mm-hmm. that might be a clue or an indicator of this isn't a good place for me to be. That's not where a relationship should take It is you. not where a relationship should take you at all. No. Ever. And, and we conflate this and yet we continue to conflate yeah. this with love. We continue to be, but I love him, but I love him. So, so, then, so then I'd ask what? yourself, why do you love him? What about him do you love? Because I, so I think about people that I've dated since my ex and, and even my ex-husband, the things that I enjoyed about them were how I felt around them. 
generally. And, and it could be, there could be a million reasons why we feel good around them. And they, and it could be like half of those reasons we can't even really verbalize. It's just a feeling. And that's great. We should feel good around people that we love and who love us. And we should feel at ease and we should feel alive and whatever other words we want to use. But we shouldn't feel like we want to die. <laughs> we shouldn't feel like this is the worst thing that's ever, this is, this feeling is the worst and it's going to consume me and I want it to consume me because I don't want to go on anymore. And so it, when we get in that, like that cycle of the up and down, we really need to ask ourselves the question of why is it okay for me to feel this down? Why is that acceptable? Is the price of the high worth it? And you know what, for a long time, for many relationships, People say it is until it isn't. And there's different, there's different markers for different people. For some people, it's when things become physical. If there's always been yelling, but then he hit me and that was it. I was out. Or it could be he would always punch the walls, but then he hit me. Or it could be he used to slap me, but then he punched me. Whatever the marker is. And that's the quote bottom that we hit. And just like in, when we talk about chemical addiction, a chemical as in like drugs, pharmaceuticals or illegal drugs, you got to hit your bottom, whatever your bottom is. And, and that's different for everyone. It, it really is. And so as an observer, when we watch our friends or family or clients <laughs> going through this, we can say all the things we want to say, and we can point out all the red flags we want to. And I think it's important that we do that. Until the person gets it, so to speak, in their being, it, it doesn't fucking matter. And the thing about abuse, typically abusive relationships, is most relationships don't start out with them beating no, you. If they hit you on the first date, <laughs> you would go yeah. Yeah, you know you're out at that point. It may be years. It it might be literally decades before they hit you the first time. But there's like this like controlling behavior. There's this, I don't like that friend, so you can't see that friend anymore. You said you'd be home at 7, it's 7.30. Like whatever the controlling thing is. And see, that's and that's where I I think it's important to differentiate what is actually abuse because it's not abuse for someone to say, I don't like going to parties and not going to parties. That's not abuse. It's that is not abuse. What where it can lead to abuse is when we then go, Oh, I really like parties, but I won't go to the parties because I want and we start letting go of our own autonomy. And our own, you don't want to go to the parties. That's fine. Maybe I won't go to all the parties, but I'm still going to go to this party or whatever the fucking thing is. I don't care. But to hold on to our own autonomy and recognize that one person is not the be all end all. Um, it, and it doesn't matter if they're the father of our children. I don't care. Like it, it doesn't matter. Like we get to have friends. We get to have a social life and a social circle, which we need to have. And, in, and we get to be autonomous beings. And when we're able to hold our own autonomy, we one, it will never get to the point of that kind of abuse because our autonomy won't let it. It'll, we'll, we'll just cut it off way too soon um, for it to reach there. But So it won't get there. But also we can start to recognize maybe this just isn't the person for me. And it can be subtle. I always want to point out the more subtle because those are the more overt ones, but then there's the more like insidious, subtle ones about I'm scared yeah. or I don't, I'm, I don't do well in crowds. It gives me so much anxiety. So I don't want to go to parties. So then you stop going to the parties because you want to be with him. There's, there are so many, there's so many like little micro versions of that, that we miss because yeah. they seem so reasonable. That's absolutely it. And there's plenty, there's plenty of relationships out there in romantic relationships out there where one person has social anxiety and the other is like super social and they, and it works fine. The super social person goes and does their super social things. The person with social anxiety respects that they need that. And, and it's fine. They aren't calling them. They aren't constantly texting and checking. They aren't being jealous. Like they aren't doing that. They're recognizing this is part of who you are. 
and it's what you need and that's okay. And I can't give it to you. So go get it. (laughs) Right. Yeah. If they don't, if you're like a really social person and they have social anxiety and they don't want to go to parties and, and like, you're constantly shutting it down. Or if you do go, there's a lot of phone calls or there's suddenly there's a crisis or there are accusations. Who did you talk to? Who did you hang out with? And you wore that and all you went to a party looking like that. That's when it shifts. But when we, when we allow that anytime you feel like you're shrinking and dimming your own light in order to make the other person feel okay, that's a problem. And and isn't expecting you to fix them, right? Because that's part of the abuse dynamic is that not only do does the victim say, I really hate using the word victim. It's my issues with the word, but I don't have the word. So uh, where the it's not just the victim that's saying, oh, I can fix you if I just do X, Y, Z. It's the abuser also saying, if you just did X, Y, Z, then it would, then I'd be better. If you just change your tone of voice or dress a different way or right. And then you do it and they're like, why are you so inauthentic and weird? Why are you talking so strange? <laughs> right. That's yeah. And so it, I think it's one of the, one of the important things to help people as a, as a helping professional, right? <laughs> one of the important things I love the, the question, what do you love about him? What is, and then like, how do you define love? What is love? What makes up love? And, and often we can't define it. It's, it, and that's part of the problem, I think. What would you say? What is what should a healthy love or a healthy relationship? Tell me a healthy relationship. Like, I don't fucking know. <laughs> well, I, th- I think it can look different for different people, but, but the basics are respect being able to respect and and respecting each other's right. differences and being able to respect that the other person in the relationship isn't going to fulfill all of our needs and we aren't going to fulfill all of theirs either which means that some of their needs are going to be met in other relationships now that doesn't mean polyamorous non-monogamy right but it does mean friendships it means family it means work it means whatever it means it can mean non-monogamy but it doesn't have to right Yeah. And that's okay. Yes. Right. Um, Yes. Right. And that has to be consensual. Consensual. Not like I'm not monogamous, so I'm going to break our vows. And yeah, yeah, that's good. Yeah. That's not at all where I'm going. Yeah. No, I know it's not where you're going. I do, but (laughs) it comes up a lot. I need to to mention it. (laughs) Yeah. That's just it. There's I actually follow follow a lot of non-monogamy social media accounts because honestly, they have the best fucking relationship advice. I'm not even kidding. <laughs> because in consensual non-monogamy, the level of communication has to be it's high. high. It's good yeah. to be. Interesting. Yeah. And they, they're all like, they all talk about anxious attachment and their insecure attachment styles and how those get activated in all because of the the relationship style they're choosing or, or born wanting or whatever. And so they're, they're pushed into a corner to deal with their shit in many ways. Whereas traditional monogamy, we're not, we're not as pushed into a corner in the same ways. I wish we were, but we're not. So yeah, communication, respect, understanding that one person isn't going to be our everything, be all the time, everything. And not have not making assumptions because that's where we come back to communication. We can't just assume. I think even in long-term monogamous relationships, we have to have this communication of, are we happy? What's happening right now? What, what do we, do we have different needs? Have we grown in a certain way where something, we need something different and it doesn't matter what the different thing is. I don't care, but that needs to be communicated. Um, because some people grow more social as they get older or less social as they get older. And so, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, please. <laughs> for everyone listening at home, Gwen and I are, the, the pandemic is really working out for us. <laughs> yeah, it's great. <laughs> We're introverted. We're like, woohoo, we don't get to see people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, yeah, being able to have that communication of growth and respecting each other's growth. 
And I also think that there needs to be a sense of non-ownership and recognizing that I love this person and I love them even if they don't want to be with me. Because that is a big key because we grow, we all grow and we grow at different rates and different styles and different cycles. And sometimes people grow apart. They simply do. And if we, I believe if we love someone, we love them regardless of whether or not we are going to be the one with them. And that we want what we want their happy, their happiness is more important than whether or not we're together. A hundred percent. And I I always say, you want to know who someone is, break up with them. (laughs) Because the way that they respond to being broken up with, whether that's a divorce or just a friendship, I mean, or dating, the way that they respond to that is, will tell you everything. Someone who loves you will say, you know what, I, this is devastating and heartbreaking and all of the things and they'll cry and blah, blah, blah. But they'll say, I want you to be happy. And if it's not, if I don't, if I don't make you happy, then I'm, I, I release you. Someone who wants to control you and their entire worldview is about control as opposed to love, they will kick and scream. They'll try everything. They'll threaten suicide. They'll, you know, threaten to take the kids. They'll anything in their power. One of the things that I think you're, I think Rian too, Rian Lockard, Rian Lockard. Yeah. So one of the things that Rian always says, and she said it on my podcast uh, before too, is that if you look at it through the lens of love and it doesn't quite add up, and then you shift the shift the lens to if he was if you really you're saying to yourself over and over again if he really loves me why would he do all these things and it doesn't make sense but if you shift it to if he was trying to control me does everything now make sense and that's all you need to know mm-hmm. and that's totally okay yeah and it's also true i i think it's really i i think that's a great way to shift that question of if he loves me, if he really loves me, why does he do X versus, well, if he's trying to control me, is this why he's doing X? <laughs> like, right? and, and to also recognize that sometimes the answer is, no, he's not controlling me. And the answer isn't even that he doesn't love me. It's just, we don't work together. And that's completely all right. There's, yeah. I don't know. Some people need their other person to text them every day, for example. Like, I'll just throw that. That's a thing for some folks. And maybe you meet someone when you're dating and they're not a big texter. They just, they're not going to text you every day. That doesn't mean they don't like you. It doesn't mean they don't care about you. It doesn't mean if you stay with them that they don't love you. It means they're not a fucking texter. And if it's that big of a deal for you that you need someone texting you every day, then they're not the person for you. <laughs> and I thank you for saying that because I, I say this all the time to my clients and people in my group that like, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if he's actually a clinical narcissist or not. It doesn't matter if he's actually abusing you or not. Do you want to stay in this marriage exactly as it is today? Because this is it. And my guess is this is the way it's been for a long time. Is this what you want? And women are so afraid of being the, we've been taught for so, for our entire lives uh, and generations that we don't have agency, that we don't have choice. We don't have choice over what we do with our bodies. We don't have choice over how we, what we do, what relationships we choose. So the idea that we can choose to get out, but if we're not happy, we can choose. (laughs) Or they may express the way they love you in different ways. It might, it might show up in different ways too. And so it's, I don't want to negate that there's not abuse because there's actually, there, there's absolutely abuse out in the world when there are abusive, I mean, you and I fucking know this, right? In our work, we see it all the time. There is abuse. And also, I've also seen people calling something abuse that is really, you just don't fit actually actually not being abusive. He's a dick. I'm not going to say he's not a dick, but he's not abusing you. Um, and so the, it's, 
What's the line? I don't know. I can't, I don't know that I can definitively say this is a line between abuse and just someone being a jerk. But, but I think that we need to be very discerning for ourselves also in, in those situations. And, and it doesn't matter at the end of the day, if it's actually abuse or if they're just a jerk, or if we just don't fit, if we're not happy, we're not happy. We can we can leave. That is that is an option in Western culture. That is an option here in the United States. Now, it's also true that's not true in all cultures, and that's and that often people even who move to the U.S. still struggle with that idea of, you mean no, I can't. If I leave, I'll be put in jail. If I leave, this will have these bad things will happen to me. And yeah, you'll be shot. I work with a lot of women who a lot of Persian women. And women from Arab cultures, and it is it's and it's not just that even if they've been in the United States for most of their lives, it's it's the community. They'll be shunned from the community. And when that happens, it's a very isol it's an incredibly isolating thing because they really are shunned. And it's terribly difficult. and it you know, and can inform their choice for sure, yeah. And so it is, so those are things to consider too for folks is that, is that there are other pieces that are involved. And if you are of the world where, no, you, you could leave, <laughs> you can leave. And in fact, your family would cheer if you did, right? You know, <laughs> as a general statement in 2021, we do not have to stay married if we don't want to relationship doesn't work for us. And, and there's a whole separate piece when there's kids, of course, and needing to be able to co-parent and, and maintain a relationship with the person, an amicable relationship. But that's different from having to stay married to them. Absolutely. Okay. Let's go back to the trauma bond thing. Cause I want to make sure that we talk about like getting out because we're speaking of having to co-parent and maintain a relationship Right. Almost all of the information out there on the interwebs is that you have to go cold turkey, right? Like you said, you have to just go yeah. no contact and cut it off completely because every text and every communication just hooks back, hooks you back in, hooks you back in. How the fuck are you supposed to break a trauma bond with someone that you're married to and have children with? So there's all these wonderful little apps that you can use <laughs> for your text communication. That fair, my favorite. Yeah, my favorite is yeah. Fair, F A Y R, uh, which is an amazing yeah. co-parenting app. Yes. Okay. Implement a co-parenting and, app for right, sure. and do that as soon as you can, as quickly as possible. And have all communication through that app because then that app is admissible into court. So if they start being abusive, it's you can take it to court and say, Ugh! and I've had clients do that where they come in and they're like, okay, I got the texts. I'm going to read them to you. And they're reading them for the first time. And we read them and we process and we talk and we like do all the things. And that's, I think that's important. Sometimes we can have a friend that we can do that with. or Exactly. And the other thing about it is that you can control when you read the communications, right? Yeah. So you're not getting notified over and over at random times. You can sit yourself down, have a bath, have a glass of wine, like to get yourself in a mind space or go to your therapist's office or on a coaching call and decide yeah. to read the communications in a safe place for you. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's another way to do it. And finding, finding a, a professional, be that a coach, therapist, counselor, someone that, that understands trauma, that is trauma-informed and trauma-aware. My recommendation is someone who does some type of somatic work, somatic therapy of some kind. And there's a million different modalities out. Well, I don't know if there's a million, but there's definitely at least dozens of modalities out there. Um, so that you can learn your own self-regulation stuff so that when you do get to the point, or if you ever get to the point of directly receiving texts from the person, you can look at them and go, Oh, yep. They're being them again. And just, and it doesn't, it just doesn't even phase you anymore. I also have, yeah, I have clients sometimes have all communication, go to an email address that another friend 
someone else checks and only relays the vital information. Like Jimmy has a soccer game at three o'clock on Tuesday. That's all you need to know. <laughs> what was that three page email? <laughs> right. Yeah. My favorite things of yours is your, I don't, I don't know why I don't have it. I just keep following on your Instagram and is your deck. You have a deck for this and it's so cool. Again, I don't know why I don't own one, but, but, but you're always posting them on Instagram. So I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah that with, with tools for like somatic tools for calming your central nervous system for getting, and it's just, God, they're so invaluable. So we're going to put a link in the um, show notes for those, because I think they're, everyone needs that. Yeah. It's a, it's a great deck. It, so I'm told, I think it's a great deck too, but, but I've also been told by many people that it's really useful and really helpful. And those, they're, they're really simple exercises. All of them are, none of them take, it, that's not true. Some of them can take a few minutes, but most of them you can do in like 60 seconds. So it's not, I'm not, they aren't, you aren't spending hours of your day meditating and centering and doing all the things because nobody has that kind of time. Um, so quick. <laughs> I sure as fuck don't. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> Not I. Not yeah. I. Okay. So really like barriers to communication are really important. Barriers to communication and then your own trauma healing. Yeah. And your own trauma work. Yeah. Your own work, your own learning, how to self-regulate, how to self-regulate, how to set boundaries, how to hold those boundaries. Cause we can set boundaries all we want, but we got to be able to hold them also. We have to actually hold them to it. You know, preach sister, preach. I set a boundary and he didn't listen to it. That's not how it works. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Right. Yeah, exactly. And especially if this boundary is something that's new, like it's going to be when we look at when we look at systems theory, right? If you're adding something new to the system's going to take some time to figure out what the fuck it's supposed to do. Of course, you're going to when you first set a new boundary, the person's going to walk right over it because they're like, "What the fuck is this? I don't rec- I don't know what this is." And so we have to. It is a we need to work and say, "No, I said blah blah blah." We actually have to. Yeah, they're. They're, the design is we set the boundary and then they try to get past it. That's how it works. It, it does feel that way. And it's I mean, it's like anything that feels hard or big or overwhelming. Yeah. We do feel like we're going to be in it forever. Like it is never, ever going to end. But Right. No, I, I, I said that. Yep, exactly. Exactly. Over and over again. And you don't get mad. You don't like freak out about it. You just say... If you remember, I said, blah, blah, blah. And then the next time they do it, then you, you know, take away their cookie or whatever. (laughs) (laughs) I told you, you couldn't call me before eight o'clock. So then you don't answer the phone. No. Yeah. Or whatever the boundary is. And over time, I think the important thing to know is that with the trauma bond in particular, if you set proper boundaries, like using a co-parenting app is a boundary. Divorce is a boundary. So set proper boundaries and do the work on your own trauma so that you understand what it is that you, how you got here, right? This, this is a situation that you ended up in for a reason, right? So do that trauma work. You can get past this. You can get through it. It feels like you can never, ever get through it. It really feels that way when you're when my ex and I first, first split, first separated, I was like, I'm, I'm not going to date. I'm never going to date. I'm never, I'm ne- I was, how old was I? 47 when we split? I don't know how old I was, mid-ish 40s. And I was like, I'm never going to date again. I'm never going to date again. I'm never going to be in like, three months later, I'm on Tinder. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? So, yeah. I I was, that's just not where I was. It's not where I was. And sure enough, I eventually met someone. I fell in love with him. We broke up. I've I've gone on. I've dated others. I'm dating. I was, oh my God, I was 38. I was like, let's go. I was 38 and hadn't had sex in three years. So I was like, let me at him. (laughs) 
it can be devastating. And it is for a period of time. Absolutely, of course. And we do get through it and past it. We survive. Yeah, I will. I got to tell you, my trauma bonded relationship, that was after my divorce. And that one, it took a really long time. It took a long, long time for me to heal. There were periods of time where I would, long after we'd broken up, but I would text my best friend and be like, I think he broke me. I really think he broke me. And she would say to me, I think he, I think so too, honey. I can't imagine how that couldn't have broken you. Like, like legitimately, but he didn't because I'm stronger than that. And if you're listening to this and you are experiencing this, you are stronger than that too. You know, Gwen and I may be professionals, but we're also women who have been through this and we're no different. We're literally no different from anyone else. We can do hard things. Mm-hmm. what we're saying. Absolutely. We all do hard things. Yeah. And thank you yeah. so much for coming back on. Hello. Thank you for having me. Where can everyone find you? You can find me on my website, GwenRayMundy.com. And I'm on Instagram, GwenRayMundy. I'm on Facebook, GwenRayMundy. <laughs> Pretty much just Google my name. I do have some group courses that are coming up. So there'll be like one a month-ish and there's little three-week groups. We'll be talking about different aspects of trauma and how it impacts our relationships and how to how to unwrap, start unraveling that. Those will be, again, those will be throughout the year. And then I have the one six-month one that will start in March. Awesome. Yeah. And what's that one? That is called Trauma-Informed Embodiment for, for Relationship. And so it's, it's a more intensive of the three-week ones that are, so it's, six months instead of the just many things. Yeah. Oh, love it. That's great. That's going to be awesome. Okay. Make sure we have all the links for that. We'll put those in the show notes and thank you, honey. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the divorce survival guide podcast. If you like what you hear, head on over to Apple podcasts or wherever you listen in and leave me a review. And don't forget to follow me on Instagram at the divorce survival guide. I'll see you next time. And until then, remember, you, my love, deserve to be happy.